0: Hello and welcome to our panel discussion on mental health in the arts. We are Voices, a DIY platform created to address social issues from mental health to climate change through fundraising, workshops, talks, panels and events. This discussion was recorded in February in front of a live audience ahead of our second Mind Dance event at Many Hands in London. It featured a selection of our favourite creatives from all parts of nightlife and underground music culture and delves into everything from social media regulation to dealing with crisis and addressing work-life balance this talk was moderated by the fabulous rachel williams and we hope you enjoy it hi
1: everyone i'm Williams. Um, I'm going to be chairing this panel this evening and corolling these lot. Um, so in case you don't know who I am, I'm a DJ and I make some strange performance art DJ projects as well as Ambient Baby Station Meltdown and I am the booker at Rywax. Um, if you want to start me high and introduce yourself and explain who you are.
2: Hi, my name is Mihai, I'm general manager at Fold, you probably know it as the 24-hour uh, nightclub that's opened up for a year now.
3: Hello, um, I'm Jay, I'm DJ, general, old person in the area, um, dog
4: owner.
3: <laughs> Hi, I'm Yasmin, I am a
5: product manager in the music industry and I also freelance in events.
0: Hi, uh, I'm Hannah. I'm the wellbeing officer at Point Blank Music School. Um, So we do like DJ music production uh, courses.
4: Hey, uh, I'm Rob Jones. I'm a freelance event (laughs) photographer um, based in London and shoot a lot of sort of festivals and clubs in London around the UK. Based, uh, yeah, in Manchester as well. But yeah, nice to meet you all.
1: So I just want to say thank you to everyone that, that contributed a topic. Uh, there were some really, really good suggestions in there. So I've kind of built less questions and more like some headline topics for everyone to talk about. Um, and we'll do a Q&A at the end as well. Um, and I've taken a lot of the, your suggestions, so we will be talking about a lot of the things that have been put forward. The first thing I really want to talk about <laughs> in terms of mental health is actually social media. Um, like whether someone suggested, should it be regulated? Uh, I also kind of want to talk about the effect it has on your self-worth, like, and how that can have a massive impact on your mental health. And also one of the really good suggestions was comparison anxiety. So I want to know if you guys have any thoughts on this. compare like comparing yourself to other people, like if if you see someone, if you're a DJ and you see someone like flying off to some sunny festival and you're like, why am I getting booked? (laughs) which is a comment I hear quite a lot from people that I know. So I want to hear you guys' thoughts. Rob, have Um, you got something to say?
4: Yeah, I think being a photographer in this day and age, um, I rely heavily on social media as a way of earning a living and also getting my work out to all of you. Um, Like everyone else in this room, I'm probably addicted to it. Like Every single day of my life, I'm on Instagram, Facebook... Twitter not so much, but yeah, like the, the big ones that, that we're all on. And um, I think now that I'm getting a bit older maybe, like I'm learning to literally just turn my phone over and just take a, take a break from it. Um, I think when I first started out as a photographer, um, which was like f- four years ago, um, I really felt like I had to be pre- like, um, promoting my work and posting all the time and constantly updating statuses. And yes, that is something that we all do and people like to see how you're doing. But over time, you, you, you get so worked up in like shit, I haven't posted or shit, that photo only got however many likes, which is toxic. Um, but it's true, it, it, it really does like affect you, um, especially with photography being my living, um, how how p-
1: do you cope in that sense, in that um, case? And when you when you look at an image and you're like, "Oh, this hasn't got that many likes." What do you do in terms of, I guess, self care to kind of remind yourself that it's not as important? Yeah. Like, what 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 are mean, your
4: process? What's your process for that? I think for me, um, obviously, the work I post online is work that I'm proud of and that I want people to see. Um, so f- from from the get go, immediately like. I've I've pleased myself like I'm I'm proud of it. I don't really care what obviously I care, but if someone doesn't like my work, like that's that's their opinion. Like it's it's not gonna mean that okay. Suddenly I think my work's what what they think or not. Like I, I I guess it's it's a case of like experience and you, you learn to like kind of block block out um, I guess like negativity. Um, but in terms of like likes and followers it's it's toxic I think like it, it's 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 sad because we all do as soon as you go on f- for example Instagram you go on someone's page and they've got ten thousand followers compared to someone who's got three hundred immediately you think shit this person must be good and it's, it's 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 not the case people are buying followers people are buying likes and like these days it's it's you can, you can see through it as well. Sometimes you go on people's pages and like their engagement on the posts is like nowhere near what you'd expect, which immediately like flags up like, okay, then maybe, maybe it's not all as it seems. I guess f- what I'm trying to say is that just be, be proud of what you're posting or th- the songs you're making if you're a musician. I guess I'm talking a lot about photography here as I'm a photographer, but I guess it's kind of similar for if if you're a musician or a DJ and you've got a mix or a, you've got a new tune. Yes, you're gonna get negative comments, but just be proud of like the work you've 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 produced, I guess. Um and yeah, just try yeah, just try not to get so sucked into this whole likes and follows and it's yeah. really hard. It's it's, <laughs> it's hard. Really but hard. It's,
5: as a as a social media manager, so product management is basically like marketing management, but for a whole campaign. So within that, a lot of that is social media management, and working with artists, you're constantly planning out schedules, trying to plan the best times to post. Like you're setting your your KPIs, so your key performance uh, indicators is like how many followers you're getting like how, how much growth you're having, how much your engagement is growing and then there's something else out because Instagram has changed its algorithm and now it's even harder to reach the engagement rate so then you're trying to think of funnier stuff and more witty stuff and trying to post at the right times and working out like you know okay so we've got a 13% of our fan base in America and we need, need to appease them so we're going to post it this time but we're also going to post it this time and you can't post more than once a day and you can't do this and you have to be in the picture because that gets the most likes and oh my god it's fucking exhausting <laughs> Right. Exha- and Exhausting is
1: literally the word I was thinking. And that's,
5: well. that's, that's just working with artists. You're then, like, you're imposing this upon them. You are, and this is why I don't do this anymore, because it is toxic as fuck. You are getting into people's heads and making them value themselves by something that is not real. But equally, as a social media manager, I now treat my own Instagram like... I have some sort of metric to live up to. It's really hard. It's really hard on the flip side of that to kind of like unplug yourself from what you're telling people they need to do, even though you know that it's all bullshit. Um, and I think regulation is really important. You know, I used to sit with my artists and say to them. We have to do this, but you don't have to necessarily engage with this as
1: much. What as do you, what, we do. But what do you think? How can it, how can it be regulated? That's a question that has been really like bugging me. Like, how can you regulate something like this?
5: I guess having a social media manager in some ways is quite good because it takes it out of the hands of the artist. However, that is not necessarily a position that many artists find themselves in, especially as the amount of money that, that people have in the industry is dwindling. Is that
1: some it, but then is that a kind of almost like a self-regulation then like handing your accounts over to someone who'll be able to regulate it for you? Or yeah, is or should there be industry regulation?
5: I don't know if there will ever be an industry regulation of social media or what that would even look like. I think on a personal level, I I got to a point where I turned off all my notifications for everything on my phone so i don't know when someone's whatsapp to me which was hard when i need, was needed 24 hours a day to run someone's social media but you at some point have to be responsible for yourself you in life you're only re- responsible for your own behavior you're responsible for your consumption of social media and it would it would be a lot easier for us to all say, well, Facebook's trying to manipulate us all with algorithms, but we fucking know it's happening. We know it's happening. So we can't really blame other people if we know what's going on. It, you have to make a conscious choice. And it is hard, but, I mean, nothing in life is easy. So that's, that's kind of my view on it. it. It exists, and this is the world that we're in, and we have to find ways to, to keep ourselves safe. We can't expect the big baddies to, to come and save us because they're just not going to do
1: it. Think, um, um, I think Jay's got some comments.
3: No, I was just going to say that like self-regulation is key, really. I mean, I come from a time before the internet. I was DJing before the internet. Um, <laughs> that doesn't exist. Right. What are you on about? Yeah, <laughs> Stop right. telling these lies. You know, like before acid house and stuff and people <laughs> were, this was still, you know, like um, the profiles of people were still there. I mean, it wasn't developed like it is now. So if you weren't getting the gigs you'd go home and moan about it but now we especially younger people from school from my, I've got two daughters I've got a, one that's 9 she knows no different you know she's already on TikTok and all these things you know she's interested in how many followers she's got on Instagram um and they're not told to self-regulate. They expect it all to be regulated. Everyone here to say expects it to be regulated for them. Um, when it's not, and it's never going to be. Um, I mean, Facebook. I, got, I get banned on Facebook constantly, <laughs> right? Just for just for. You know, calling It's all that
1: a, queer stuff you post, I no, think. No, I just say,
3: you know, if I say I want to, you know, let's all, you know, uh, let's all beat up Boris Johnson, let's kill him, you get a ban, right?
1: You say that you want to kill Boris Johnson and you, no, you get banned from Facebook.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but what I'm saying, though, is that you think that we are conditioned to think that that is them regulating us. Yeah. Well, it's not. It's them. It's that censorship, then? Well, Of course it's censorship, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, self-regulation um it's really hard when you're mental <laughs> and i think <laughs> yeah. i'm mental i'm i'm mental as fuck right and um to ask us to not go near a flame <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're not a moth babe
3: no but like you know i get you know years ago um i took i stopped djing i stopped doing stuff cuz i started transitioning and uh, yeah, all that lark right and um what was this? <laughs> sorry? <laughs> what I'm gonna say is though that, um, and then for a long time I was, I, you know, I was having a really hard time, and I was on the I was on Facebook all the time, and I'd constantly get people saying, "Delete your account, delete, you know, regulate yourself," and no. I didn't.
1: I do think, though, that, Jay, like, obviously, because we, we obviously know each other quite well, like, you, do, you are someone who wears a heart on their sleeve, and I think that can be really difficult for other people who don't... Who, yeah. Who maybe feel uncomfortable by that. So they want you but, to self-regulate where... But what or, I mean, though, is they, that... They want you to self-regulate that aspect of your personality. But what
3: I mean, though, is that, like, before all this access to each other... Yeah. Because really, this is what it is. It's just, like, hyper-networking, isn't it, really? Um, and in the old days, you would... You know, Leave the house. no, but you, um, the connections were the same. You know, you're still seeing people that would trigger you or whatever that is. You know, I mean, I get triggered all the time. Um, and it's really hard. We, we have to self regulate because it, these things are never going to be regulated. And it's really hard to self regulate, even though we know we have to. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. We don't teach our children or teach our young people. Stuff like that, you know.
1: I just want to. Um, you made a really interesting point about your your daughters not knowing any different. I kind of. I did actually want to ask you, Jay, as someone who is a little bit older. Uh, <laughs> don't make that face at me. <laughs> um, how you found, in terms of the kind of comparison anxiety, when you're looking at these. These young DJs are doing being so successful. Do you find that um, you're comparing yourself to people who are a lot younger, or like if they if they're getting all these likes, like what Rob was talking about before? You know, okay.
3: Here's an example. Um, So I was doing really really well all through '90s, and then, and I had a really nice a really nice gig happening that we were doing sort of once a month. And this is so this is like sort of 2000, and then I sort of turned around to the chaps and said, hey, you never guess, right? I'm going to do this. and By I just, do this, do you mean transition? Yeah, right. Anyway, so some blokes twitched and were like, oh, fuck that, and, and I've never seen them again. But when I came back to, to doing this, I got enough, I mean, ridiculous amounts of hassle off of blokes saying, we see you're playing with... This person, you're only getting this gig because you're trans and it's really trendy now, right? And I would go, yeah, f- you know, get fucked, right? <laughs> but, but that causes you anxiety, and that happens in the real world too. You know, it's just that we see it; it's just amplified. So that, like, that exterior of
1: strength, you, you know, like being honest about the kind of how that that is having an effect on your mental health inwardly even if you're not showing
3: it oh god I mean I'm I am really crazy right no and I you if I stop then I'll go even I'll get worse so I push on really I'm quite not blinkered but I'm very um, I'm pushing ahead I mean and what people see is a tend to see especially on the internet is a Someone that's fairly together for a couple of weeks, and then I'll say something fucking stupid, or I'll I'll get really stoned one night and open up and be a, like a massive long thing about stuff, right? But that's all part that's all part and parcel of me sort of t- pushing forward, you know. Um, and I think that like the internet. Is really really helpful, right? For pushing forward, you know. But you can't expect, like you say, you got, you know, you have artists that say, um, you know, you, do you tell them like, don't say this, don't say that, because it's gonna fuck your brand up. And um, I've had it recently. I've had it. I've lost an agent through this, through me being a bit too open. Um, but I think you've got to realise that people on the internet are... You know, we're... If you shut the internet down, it would still...
5: It would still carry on, It
3: yeah. we would still be, you know, freaking start out. start
5: forums again. Well, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it's a... No, we, we would... When we would onboard artists, we would send them a guideline of what they can and can't talk about. And that's not like... You can't say this, but it's like you don't engage in politics. We don't man-bash, like if it's a female artist. And each each guideline would be tailored to each person. It's not like we had a one size fits all kind of like you can't do this or you can't do that. But when you are a brand, and especially because the the area of music that I was working in is like developing pop artists. So that is a really precarious, it's not like it's not like us where we all have the freedom to say whatever we want, you know. You might feel like you're Instagram rants are a bit like on the edge but as someone who follows you on Instagram I've never I've never I've never encountered anything you said to be weird but if if it was like I don't know Dua Lipa or like someone really famous or like Calvin Harris having a fucking meltdown cuz he's got high and he wants to talk about I don't I don't know like it's it's different and you yeah. it's it really depends on
3: what area of the arts you're coming in oh, from I just want to say that like you know then and now, you can bang on till the cows come home about, don't say this, don't do that, because everyone's watching. But when that person goes home <laughs> and they're bored and they're, you know, done a load of cat and they sort of go, <laughs> and fucking about, you know, at four o'clock in the morning, you don't know that, you know, until... So it's still I think re- you know if they're doing a cat post come on, we all know. <laughs> unless, you, unless you ban, you know, you change their passwords.
5: Oh, no, one thing. So a lot of, um, and this is particularly just really like famous and high profile people have Finsters now, which is private accounts where they say what they want and they post what they want and and that kind of, goes under the radar so there, there are ways around it you know if you want wait to,
1: what does finsta mean what do you mean
5: fake insta oh,
1: okay right
5: i think that's what it stands for oh. i should know as a social media manager so like I know, I know a dj who's like he's not even really that famous but he has a separate instagram account where he just posts art and says shit and you know does whatever he wants and i guess that gives him the freedom of expression that he would like to have from an instagram account um, it's really sad that we're even talking about this. I actually
1: wanted... Uh, it's actually leading on quite nicely to another topic. Okay. Uh, I really want to talk about um, repercussions for problematic behaviour and cancel culture. And I think like, like this is something that obviously, you know, has an effect on... Um, maybe less industry people's mental health, but maybe punters' mental health. Like, you know, like, if if an artist is problematic, um, say, if they're saying problematic things on their Instagram and that's having an effect on people who aren't necessarily industry folk, but people who go out and want to be, want to feel safe in dance music or nightlife, and there's an artist who is being pretty awful or is behaving awfully, like, I think this is something we definitely need to talk about, like... Um, obviously, there was the incident with DJ Normal Four uh, when he sexually assaulted several women in Bristol, and then went on a massive rant on his Facebook page. And there were just there were just people, his fans, commenting, like uh, giving him support. And I just I kind of want to talk about that and kind of gauge opinions because I think this ties in very neatly with what you're talking about, Yaz, in terms of having to manage artists and their prob- their problematic behaviours.
5: Oh God, Um, I guess in many senses that I have been quite lucky in the job that I've done that I haven't actually had to deal with that much problematic behaviour seeping out into the public eye. Quite a lot of it is kept behind closed doors. Um, With that said, I think we do all need to realise, I mean, it really depends on the problematic behaviour in question. Um, But in my opinion, I think it's really easy to cancel someone, but it's also really easy to remember a time when we've all been incredibly problematic ourselves as time has gone on. And um, personally, I just think we have to strike a balance between learning when it's okay to forgive someone and learning when we actually do need to cancel somebody and letting people apologize, and letting, letting people make mistakes, but also let people make amends. But equally, that, that making amends has to be, the, you know, in the, in the equal measure of what they've done. And there's, there's people, no naming names, but there's DJs who've definitely done very, very problematic things that have been common knowledge, who have gone away for a little while and then come back. And they, I don't think that the kind of... They haven't paid enough rep- yeah, They haven't paid reparations for what they've done, and we sort of just let them back in with open arms. But then there's something else that
1: happens, and we're like, no,
5: cancelled. There's no sort of cohesion to what we what we do and don't allow anymore. I don't think.
1: I agree. I agree. I definitely agree on that. I think obviously, like um, Jack Masters' return to headline slots. I didn't want to <laughs> say
5: his name. I think his. Please retur- don't his... film this.
1: <laughs> but I but I do think but I do think his return to headline slots um, is an interesting point point to note. You know, like you know, obviously he i mean everyone i'm pretty sure everyone in this room knows what happened with in those regards um and i think him returning to headline slots is really interesting it's like how how do you make reparations for for sexual assault if you're an artist you know should you not be around because you're going to be making women unsafe if you're on the lineup with other women like i i personally as a dj wouldn't want wouldn't want to be on a lineup with someone who had had done that
5: well i think the worst thing that happened in that instance was that they weren't honest about it and he wasn't oh they're shitting
1: in the kettle into the, the, yeah, the, the, when they were obfuscated oh, i can't even pronounce that word sorry guys when they were trying to kind of blur like what had happened by spreading that the, spreading spreading yeah change the narrative and spreading that rumor about him shitting in a kettle which is obviously hilarious so obviously people were more interested in that than the actual tale of the sexual assault but
5: this is the thing that the tale of the sexual assault is still not public knowledge. It's not like anybody has come out and said this is I thought point he'd know I, I
1: thought he did say
5: that though. No, he just okay. came out and said there was an incident that happened and and no, he said that he like made someone feel really uncomfortable. Okay, Maybe he, just he groped like... some he groped some people, but that came out when he wanted
1: that to was, get his that, career that came back. out. That came out a lot, a lot after that it happened. Because I think it was common knowledge in the industry that what had happened. Like loads of people obviously knew about it, it as like an open secret, and he was still getting booked quite a lot.
5: But equally, it's hard because he is a he is a person who has openly admitted that he has a drug problem. He had a family bereavement. I'm sorry, but GHB
1: doesn't make you sexual assault people. <laughs>
5: what i'm saying what but what i'm saying is if we're talking about you know how to gauge it and paying reparations there's probably people around him who've seen what he's done behind the scenes and think okay well that's enough and but actually that's not what anyone else is seeing right now
2: this is the main problem sorry it's a button. but this no, is no, the please, main problem please, with please, the cancel please. culture cancel culture shouldn't really be uh, dictated by by the people listening to music Do you guys remember rebecca black friday right she's I love that we've pretty gone into much, this right? direction. Like, nobody's working with her now because she had one shit song where basically it was one guy taking advantage of her um, and and her family's money and put out this very shitty produced song shitty produced video and now nobody wants to nobody wants to work with her anymore. R. Kelly? <laughs> what about all these other guys that have, that have done all, all of the yeah, yeah, like, in like jail. He, he, yeah right 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 now, but how many people within the industry New knew world. of everything that was going on and still were like, eh, it makes money you
4: well, know that, and this this is
2: where the council culture needs to happen within the industry it's something that if we if we birth it, we need to control it like it's not it's not about uh, the, it's not about this, is, it the slogan. The public, this is the this is
1: slogan the if we birth it, we control it. <laughs> Well, <laughs> or we should anyway.
2: Well, we should at least educate it to do the proper things. No, I completely
1: no. agree.
5: And the the problem, the problem that I think with the whole Jackmaster incident is actually there was a lot of other people around Jackmaster who did way worse things that I know about, that all my friends know about. We all know about. We all know what other people were doing, how other people were behaving towards women in the industry. I have my own personal experiences with sexual assault within the music industry, within, within DJ culture that I wouldn't ever personally feel comfortable going on record about, and some and somehow then, but it's what you're saying, it's like, I feel responsible. I feel responsible as someone who's been a victim of this to say something, but it shouldn't have to be my responsibility as the victim to come out and say this. It should be everyone around who was watching this happen. Me, as a young, vulnerable teenage girl, getting pissed with a bunch of people, thinking that, you know, I was having fun and it was cool, because that's what we all do. And actually, I was vulnerable and people weren't taking care care of me because they didn't feel like it was their responsibility to because it's all just part and parcel
1: of of the scene and you're right it's you that like just passing the buck being like oh well it's not our problem it's not our responsibility but it's everyone's responsibility it's collective responsibility i think is what we're kind of getting towards isn't it um hannah i think you had some thoughts on this as well didn't i was you? just
0: no i was just gonna say i think with obviously people that we respect so much we hold them to such a high esteem they're placed on a pedestal and so when something like that happens i think we can't separate them from what they've done and you know they're sort of like it's either good or evil that's kind of how you are in society you're either a terrible person or you're a great person and I think when someone you respect so much does something terrible it's really difficult for people to accept.
1: But I think that's also like you know what, what I was saying before about you know the kind of toxic fan culture like I, I find like when I read you know, like, like, like. Yes, I myself have been a victim of sexual assault. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm go, I go on record in, in, saying that. You know, I'm, I'm pretty open about that. Um, and I find it really triggering reading comments by fans, predominantly male fans, when they're trying to raise up an artist who's come out and admitted such and things. Like, so it's so brave that you admit this. I'm like, it's not fucking brave. Like, it's the least you should be doing. And I find, I find that has an effect on my mental health. As a DJ, as, as someone in nightlife, I find that has an effect on my mental health when I read these really toxic comments from fans who don't want to disengage with their fandom, you know? But equally on the flip side of this, I recently...
5: Uh, this is a really... I'm just going to put this out as a trigger warning. This is, like, serious sexual assault happened. I con- I contacted the person that... One of the people <laughs> that it happened with who's someone who's still in the music industry and I chose to forgive him and I said to him I was like I don't want to ruin your career I don't want to ruin your life we were friends like shit happens whatever and a part of me thinks you know the victim has the right to choose whether or not that person it's it's like a double-edged sword it's like the onus is on the victim but also they have to choose whether or not they want that person to be persecuted for, for that it's really really complex yeah but complex. then you know
2: you're letting it happen again
5: not necessarily. I think, and I think everyone, like in the in my in this specific example with this one person, compared to someone else in the same industry who's done a similar thing. I think one of them would do it again, and I don't think the other one would. I think every case is completely different. Um, but I had to choose to I had to choose to forgive that person. The other person, maybe not so much, because I know it was a reoccurring behavioral pattern of theirs. That's what they were doing at that time. Um, it's it's a very very complicated thing, but I completely agree. If, if we birthed it, we we should control it, and we all have to do better at, at calling stuff out
2: for sure. Absolutely.
1: Um, I kind of want to talk about um, sort of addiction and binge drinking, and I think this does have a uh, does have a sort of relation to what we're talking about. You know, like you're saying, this incident happened, and shit happens, and there's obviously alcohol and drugs involved. And I do think this is a really important aspect. To talk about in terms of mental health, and I, I, kind of, I definitely want to hear from you, Mihai, about the kind of normalization of binge drinking in venues. Because obviously, I mean, I know this as, as a, as a venue booker, you have to be bringing in nights that are going to make money on the bar because that is what pays the rent, that is what pays your staff. So you do have to have nights which are people are drinking at, but it is the normalization of that culture. And I just want to hear your thoughts as a general manager of a big twenty-four hour venue, how you feel about that and the effect on the customer's and the punter's mental health and also the DJ's mental health in terms of that kind of longevity of club night?
2: So one of the main things that um, the local councils have done as well is they've started introducing stipulations upon licenses where they discourage the advertisement of... Um, multi-deals or deals that would encourage more drinking for lesser money, um, pretty much outlay, uh, outlying the risk that you expose yourself as a venue and, and your punters to. That's why a personal license holder nowadays is held to a little bit higher of uh, responsibility when it comes to the way that you choose to, to uh, impart a drug like alcohol. You know, the fact that it's legal doesn't make it any more different than anything else. Um, it's just really the way that th- the law is currently set. But we all need to realize that it is a drug. It does provoke addiction. It does lead to some awful behavior at times. It can lead to great times, but everything is pleasure and measure. And um, besides the fact that, you know, um, thankfully the, the local councils have stepped in and tried to take these, these measurements, I think uh, personally, for example, what, what we do at Fold as well, is um, we have a very strict bar refusal policy. Um, if anyone does seem in any shape or form or has been flagged by all of our we- welfare officers as being too, to out there, to uh, sorry.
1: Can I just ask how many welfare officers would you have overnight? Like, how many? They, can you explain a little bit about this concept? Because obviously, it's yeah, not yeah. not every club is going to have this, and yeah, I don't no, think so, uh, necessarily I'm, people are going to be that aware of it.
2: Yeah. So I've basically took, uh, taken this concept from a um, a queer queer friendly party in Berlin, Leken, to which uh, we're very close to. And uh, they've, they've, basically, um, they've basically introduced us to a couple of concepts that they've, that they've had in Berlin, such as having medics on site, uh, having welfare officers. Welfare officers look like regular punters. They just have an armband on them, and they're easy to approach within an on dance floor if anybody feels in any shape or form either unsafe, uncomfortable, unthreatened. It's all about making sure that nobody's isolated. Everybody has a, a uh, sort of a checkpoint that they could go to. And can,
1: I, can I also ask, do you find, obviously because you're gonna liaise with these welfare officers a lot, do you find that people, do you feel comfortable to approach them? Do they get quite a lot of uh, pick up, I guess you could say? Like, do, do people feel like that's a thing that they know about and that they're able to
2: do? I won't talk about other clubs because I don't know, but with us, definitely.
1: Yeah, no, I, I just mean for you. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, with,
2: with us, definitely, definitely. And uh, um, I've seen it. Uh, one, one prime example was actually just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it was a night that we don't usually do. It was a drum and bass rave. Um, and one thing that I wasn't uh, fully aware of is that drum and bass culture tends to have a little bit of an issue with, uh, with sexual misconduct. It was something that you know within the techno community that we usually represent is not so prevalent. You know, the techno community, because having partied in places like Berlin and all that, is a little bit more accustomed to their officers and that. The DMB crowd wasn't. It depends up. what
1: techno party to go to.
2: Yeah. Well.
1: <laughs> and whether you're at Fabric.
2: Yeah. Well. <laughs> Again, I won't talk about it. At the first.
1: We're not here to disparage anyone, any other venues. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but. For example, in 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 those parties, so we have signs all across the venues that that uh, talk specifically about that. Talk about safe space. Talk about please approach one of uh, please approach that, one like, of the staff. Uh,
1: sorry, I'm really glad you put this up. I think the idea of safe space. Um, I call it safer spaces. I think it's really important to uh, to acknowledge that this can happen anywhere, anyone. You know, like assault can happen to you anytime, anywhere, anyone. Like, it, it, it you can't. The thing with door pickers on a club, you can't know what's in someone's head, so you're only making an educated guess, so this assault will still happen. You can never 100% prevent it. You can only create a safe, safe first space. Um, so do your welfare officers kind of look out for predatory behavior? Are they trained by Good Night Out campaign? These are things that I'm quite interested in.
2: So they're actually uh, trained... In house, I haven't brought in any, let's say, third parties yet to sort of uh, make it. I we're going to
1: make a big shout out, a big shout out for the Good Night Out campaign. They do a lot of accredited training. If anyone wants to contact if, them, if like, I think it's really worth getting in contact with building. them. Like, if you don't know about them, they're really good, really good organization. Definitely worth checking out.
2: Yeah, wicked. Yeah. If anyone is in a crowd, please do hit me up afterwards. Um, no, it's so like we um, we we've done everything on a trial and error sort of thing. We've we've discovered the the main uh, the main weak points that you have with these parties from um, overuse of GHB, from um, you know uh, sexual misconduct, and we've managed to because we're all everybody within the community within the organized community, we're ravers ourselves right we, we've, we've done a place for the people by the people so the only way that we've managed to train everybody that's within the uh, within the uh, um, a welfare team basically what we, we we train them on what we see at parties and how to uh, how to mitigate those risks also we're very deeply ingrained within the community itself. We talk to all of the key members from uh, from the queer, techno, all sorts of communities that, that we're part of, and we have an in- immediate feedback which allows us to tailor all of these things. And it's sort of it sounds, um, um, maybe it sounds a little bit cowboyish, but it is a place where everybody kind of knows everybody, so it's that sort of trust that has built within what we promise and deliver as a venue, what the community I mean, there's a, there's a level
1: of trust, but we say having these safeguards in place as well, you know, because it's not, you can't just like, oh, this is gonna sound you can't just trust everyone.
2: Yeah, absolutely, but it's a community that also like self-polices itself. But and, also you can't
1: rely on self-policing, which is why it's absolutely. really good to hear that you have got these safeguards. Exactly. Places. We, we um, try to
2: bring that extra element of yeah. support and to tailor that element according to the community. Rather than us trying to fit people into a box, to fit a sort of attitude into a box, we try to work with them to build the contour around the contour around the way we operate.
1: I do actually have a question uh, to Jay um, in terms of safe space and what, in terms of what you were talking about, Mihai, in terms of signage about safe spaces. Like I've did, I had a conversation a couple of years ago with Octa Octa, and she was saying about playing in a club and there being signage about it being trans-friendly and she looked around and she couldn't see any trans bodies and she felt that it could be con- conceived as lip service, like how do you, how do you as a trans woman find that in terms
3: of signage and, like... It's always going to be lip service until it happens and it's dealt with, then you know... I mean, I work for... I'm at the Dawson Superstore, like, a lot. And that's meant to be a safe space. You know, it kind of prides itself in being a queer place. But it's not. And no, there is no such thing. Again, it goes back to what we said earlier about self-regulation. I mean... We all think in the short term we have to, you know, because we're winging it as we go along. (laughs) But a lot of this stuff is long-term sort of deprogramming. It's about people being aware and not being a cunt. No, you know, like, you know, I mean... um, I've spoken to her about that as well. I mean, America's really slow on... It might seem ahead, but it's really slow on the uptake when it comes to things like safe spaces and regulation, because everything costs so much. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't feel unsafe anywhere, but then I'm a that sort of person that kind of... It's really hard. It's really, really hard to make a space safe I mean we did uh, been doing those dike parties down in the MOT centre you know so trying to get more than 10 less sorry years. can we just clarify what dike parties are these oh okay big dike energy so it's there's been five so far
1: how many have you played
3: at one the first one I'm doing ne- I'm doing one in August I think um, but what I'm saying though is that like um, you know it's you know it's women and women identified people and stuff like that and um, to get that many people to get that many lesbians in one room dancing it, it is hard enough but like to also say that it's a safe space so that was never said you know because really you, you so do just you feel like it's self policed. It, this was definitely self policed and they, I've been to three of them and they've all got better in vibration, you know, like feel. And um, lots of people that have not, lots of women have not come out, don't really go clubbing anymore. Um, I've started to go to this, even if they're not really into the music that much, they wanna go because it is self-regulated.
1: Um, I kind of of want to just talk about this for a second because obviously we're talking about a lesbian-specific party um, and I want to talk about inclusive spaces and whether inclusive spaces can be truly inclusive. You know, like, obviously, in terms of having queer spaces, you have to have a door picker. Um, and some queer spaces are, are very vehemently anti-straight people, and I think, like you know, obviously there's the argument that that makes it a non-inclusive space. So I kind of want to get everyone's opinion. I mean, Rob, do you ever t- take photos at non like, at at more inclusive events or like queer events or anything like that? Um, how do you how do you find that as a, a kind of outside contractor, so to speak?
4: I guess uh, with photography, I yeah, over the years I've shot loads of pies and genres of music and whatnot and i think yeah for me looking at the, those those types of pies like i'd I'd love to to get involved it's just how i go about um like getting involved and reaching out to the right people as a photographer i, I, I go into every job and wanted to document it how it is and kind of be like a fly on the wall approach um but yeah like I'd, I'd no really, offence to you, me. but a lot
3: of these places don't want you there. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. I mean, don't want cameras. I mean, they I, I
4: recently did shoot um, uh, an all-female DJ workshop um, last year, which is great. Um, and then when I when I posted about it, I did get um, someone messaged me saying, like, no offence, but shouldn't shouldn't they have hired a female photographer?" Um,
1: what was your response to that?
4: Um, I mean, that that. They're free to say whatever they say, but I I, I didn't hit, hit them up, they hit me up, they they they've seen my photos, they they like my work. At the end of the day, the work like I guess for me like should come first. Like they they yeah, that they, they like my work, they wanted to get me involved. I I was proud to be involved, it was a wicked event. Um I guess like just draw a line under it, like just everyone just just crack on and focus on what it's about, like Female DJ workshop, rather than the, the politics of should a specific gender be taking photos at an event. Um, but yeah, like I mean, I, I yeah, and I replied, um, and there's loads of amazing female photographers who I can give the details to. But again, it, I I didn't have much to say because they approached me. I said yes. They were a friend, so yeah, like, just yeah.
1: Um, I also really want to talk about life balance in nightlife and whether it is achievable, <laughs> and the kind of blurring of professional and personal mm-hmm. life. Obviously, one thing you've just said is this person that messaged you was a friend, and it's like I find I personally find there's such a very, very, very blurred line between my professional and my personal life. Yeah. Um, and how do you guys navigate that in your various um, fields?
4: I guess with with me being sort of self-employed freelance photographer sort of came into this kind of fell into photography after graduating from a marketing degree um, sort of self-taught and again no experience of how to run my own business Um, and for me when I first started out sort of four years ago I was quite I was involved in this event industry and like everyone else like I was partying just as much as, as I was working and it took me a while to fully um Realised that I need to kind of try and separate the the two from work and I guess from play. Um, It's hard when everyone around you isn't at work. They're there to let their hair down and have it off with their mates, and you're there in that same bubble, um, absorbing all their energy, trying to capture it. But at the same time, um, I guess like take a step away from it. Um, With with my work life balance um, i've i've tried to to basically what am i saying sorry lost my train of thought um, <laughs> maybe i just need some more sleep <laughs> um, yeah that sounds like yeah, you got to get that yeah, work life balance yeah, yeah, in order yeah, that's Rob. What I mean. like,
5: get some sleep mate it, stop it hanging is, out at the
4: party over the years though it, it is it's is trying to um, trying to find like when to i guess um sorry Lost it. So <laughs> yeah,
1: Rob,
5: Rob, Rob, yeah, and, Rob back, and I, Rob it. and I met when we were both <laughs> working at Dimensions. Rob was taking the pictures, I was doing artist liaison, mm. and like I would bump into you when I was at work, and you would be working, and you're like getting stuck in, and yeah. all we're talking about the whole time is like when we're gonna be able to go and party with each other again. Mm. It's especially if you're working on like, yeah, a delight, festival, and yeah. that's like a whole different bubble, but like. You know, yeah. in festival land, everyone knows everyone. Everyone's slept with everyone. Everyone's slept with everyone in the music industry. Like, it's in a big incestuous world of t- fucking and drinking <laughs> and <laughs> taking drugs and like It is, it's true. It would be really irresponsible of me to pretend otherwise. Yeah. And I don't even drink anymore, do you know what I mean? But like, I'm still fully aware of it. It is really hard to have that balance you especially when you work in the arts. The job is all consuming whether you are a performer or you're working backstage. Mm. It takes over your life. The, these are the people that you spend the most time with. Yeah. And if you know my colleagues in my in my job in marketing, they were my friends. We would all look out for each other, but are they really my friends because we all work for each other and when I leave are they still my mates? I'm still your friend, but mm. I don't see you all the time. Yeah. Like, I don't see Rachel all the time. We're That's mates. I know, I'm sorry. Um, it's, it's, it's hard yeah. to get that balance because once you're in, you're in and everyone around you is a DJ or a promoter or a photographer It's a trap, or it's a trap. Yeah, yeah. everyone it Everyone is, you is. know works in the industry. Even if you don't work with them, somehow yeah. you're all connected. In general,
4: the industry like, as a whole is so, like, instable and, like, working in it, you, you come across so many, like, instabilities, whether it be, like, financially or, like, emotionally, financially, when are you going to get paid? Like, I wait, actually want to ask Hannah,
1: because um, it sounds like you have a more kind of, like, weekday job in nightlife and music, and I wondered, like, how you find that, that blur between professional and personal, because you must meet so many people working at a, um, kind of, DJ's school, so you, there must be so many people coming through the door all the time, but obviously you're, like... <laughs> less at the coal face than perhaps some of the rest of us are.
0: I think I can only kind of speak from like a student perspective in terms of like the work-life balance um, because I think music production particularly can be quite isolating. You're working on your laptop with your headphones like all day and night um and so not necessarily like so your work life balance is out of whack in a completely different yeah. with,
1: like the other end of the spectrum exactly. which I think is a really important thing to yeah. talk about like something we definitely haven't touched on in terms of production uh, and how that is taking you away from the social aspect of it
0: yeah and I think it's like it's hard to I think for a lot of students hard to know when to switch off um because you've got your laptop, you can work all night, then you have social media, you have to promote yourself, you have to do all that. So then when do you stop and how do you switch off? And I think... We've got the when do you stop in the other way. <laughs>
4: yeah. Mm, it, no, it's true. I, I guess, yeah, that's what I've found difficult. Is you must have when, that as well, actually, because when when you, you have take, to go and edit then. Yeah, yeah. It's like, like, when do you take or give yourself days off? Um, like being freelance and being your own boss... And having a career where y- y- you want to smash it and you want to constantly work a hundred miles an hour, but you end up burning yourself out like I did it like last year, and it's
1: so de- let' definitely let 's talk about that freelance life uh, which sucks um but is uh, such a key part I mean, of music and and of nightlife. and like uh, you know like I think it 's really important to talk about this burnout that you're talking yeah, about because no, it happens to so many of us
4: yeah, like the burnout it, it happens, but you 've got to um I guess, like, just make measures, like, just... I've got much better at actually just just literally writing in my diary, like, just like, just try and have a day off, like, try and just not book work for that day. It's difficult because you you don't know when you're going to next get paid, you don't know when a job's going to c- pop up. And I think with uh, the industry as a creative, whether it be, like, a musician, a DJ, a photographer, whatever, um, just you always need... Or you, you feel like you need to be... Um, showing your your best side all the time and it's hard when it's really competitive and you've got other people waiting behind you ready to take your job if you if you cancel so you always feel like you need to say yes or be a yes man and it's, it, it does it, it it knackers you out and it, it's difficult to to know when it's the right time to actually maybe you do give up that job and focus on yourself and go for a run, go and socialize with some friends, like try not to look at your laptop or Instagram, like just try and find ways to actually like switch off because it's it's mad important. And I think touch on sort of anxiety, for me, it it made a massive difference. Just, just yeah, like going for runs, starting to play football again, like anything just to get away from, this whole bubble of like your job because it, it does it, it becomes you are like your identity and your job becomes one and it's hard to like just detach those two things. Um, for the for lo- but, <laughs> yeah.
3: no, I get that totally. I'm anxi- anxious all the time, but for the longest time, DJing and all that luck was vocational mm. for everyone, and then maybe the last twenty years, maybe not even that. It's become a career. Like now, like, like I've been playing records since 85. So, and only the last five years has it become my job. Because before I had very, I was really good at it being fun. And if it remotely looked like it was gonna earn money, I'd fuck off. You know, I liked it when it was a <laughs> laugh, you know, fun and we were all enjoying it. Um, but now, I mean, I've got two kids, um I have to earn money. Yeah. You know, so it's become a hustle, like much more of a hustle is,
4: yeah. now.
3: And it is ang it I'm more ang- I don't give a fuck about who else is playing, particular t- I mean I do, I love everyone. <laughs> but what I meant was that like that's not important really to me who's got the gigs. Yeah. It's I just need a gig. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah, yeah. um like I've now got I had an agent for a while, I tried that out and it was rubbish, Um, but then I've now got a new agent who's a DJ as well, well it's her her wife who runs it, but and that's all we talk about, is um, I mean the agency
1: is called Brain Surgery isn't it, so it's it's sort of implicit
3: in the name Jane Fitz, you know everyone know Jane Fitz, yeah right, but what I'm saying though is that like um, before you know, for all this time, even now, I was like, people would say, Hey oh, yeah, do you wanna come and play at this? And I'd go, Yeah, cool. And I would I'd be anxious about asking for money. You know, so a lot of the times I'd never you know, I'd do it for fifty quid or you know, a couple of cups of tea at a McDonald's, you know. And Wait, you'll play for a McDonald's,
1: I've been I've been overpaying you. I've
3: done that. <laughs> I've done that for, you know, I've played for food, you know. But like um but she's Said to me things like, "You've got to stop saying yes to hundred quid gig or fifty quid gig." Like if you would, you know, diffi- the gun, gun don't though. pay anyone, right? It's
4: difficult to it to, is to, difficult. To, um, to refuse work, especially people at the beginnings of their careers or just starting. Or well, doing out a
1: job that you just really want to do. Yeah, yeah I just yeah, yeah, pay yeah. that much.
4: Like and and again, like I said earlier, you in like these days, it's so competitive, like the music industry and the arts industry, there's so many people wanting to get involved. Um, and there's just always gonna be someone either gonna be undercutting you or waiting to, to snap the job up, which which you didn't get. Um, but yeah, it's, I guess, it's, yeah. I think Yaz is gonna difficult. say something
1: now. Just
5: one, last year, I had two burnouts and I'd never had a burnout before, so to have two in the space of one year was, absolutely terrifying. And I was working in my job in the music industry four days a week, doing five days of work in four days, and also hosting live events for Vice across the UK, as well as working in festival and event production. And it's just like what you're saying, it's so hard to say no to all the jobs. And my job in marketing alone was enough to send me over the edge, but especially working in the arts, Everyone treats you like you should just be grateful to have that job because everybody wants to work in music
1: and everybody will do your Do you, do you think do that kind of gives you a little bit of imposter syndrome? Then, like, why should why do I deserve to be here?
5: Yeah, and so yeah. You, you're stuck in you're stuck in this paradox of like I'm working really hard on this job and I know I'm really good, but also I feel like yeah. shit. And there's a million other people who will do my job and will probably do it for less money That's and probably work harder than I am right now, which I don't even think is. Physically, humanly possible to work harder than I was working at that point, but that—that's the attitude of everyone around you. Just like you, just fucking put up and shut up, otherwise we'll just replace you.
1: Um, we're gonna we're gonna switch to the Q and A pretty shortly, guys. Um, so I hope you've all got your questions that you want to ask us ready. This is one last thing I want to talk about, which was a suggestion, but I'm gonna just flip it slightly. And it's basically, once Justice was talking about the politicization of mental health, and I kind of want to talk about how maybe something ties into what jay was saying about her posts being a bit quite open like i know that like i've been really open about my mental health online and when i have done it has got really good engagement and do you guys think maybe some people um, manipulate that or do you think people are being really honest when they're talking about their mental health or like I just think you know like now we talk about it so much more and obviously we're here we're here doing this yeah. but you know like uh, how do you guys feel about the kind of politicization of no, mental health I
4: think personally speaking I think any any post or any topic or any discussion like we're having now or any the smallest facebook post sort of making people aware of mental health is a good thing and shouldn't be sort of um, frowned upon. Like these days, like, like we're having a, yeah, like, like this discussion is today. Like we, we need to keep shouting about it. We need to educate like, pe- like young people in schools. We need to educate the very top of the music industry, like label execs. Like everyone needs to constantly be keeping an open dialogue and communicating with each other. Because it's the only way that um, people that do suffer from mental health will feel sort of, um, I guess, seen. yeah, seen, and 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 it can help better it. Like, just like a lot of us in this room, like y- when you feel down, you speak to a friend, they they make you feel better. It's it's that on a much larger scale, and yeah, I think bringing politics in, just yeah, I think yeah, <laughs> you need to just keep keep talking.
5: I have. A- A more cynical view of this as somebody who's worked in the music industry and seen how the big machine works. I obviously think that it's great to talk about mental health or talk about my own and I really respect um, my peers coming out and, and being really forthright about their feelings and their experiences. However, from a, from a purely sort of marketing perspective, it would be really naive of us to think that people at the top do not manipulate the current feeling and sentiment around mental health in order to push themselves forward. That's not to say that they haven't necessarily experienced it, but I have worked on campaigns where talking about someone's mental health has been an integration as part of like a, a marketing campaign. Um, there is always going to be that exploitation. Um, I est- that doesn't mean I still think that it's bad that they spoke about it. I think it's still great that it's getting out there. But you know, specifically relating to what you're saying, there is always going to be somebody who knows that there is uh, capital to be gained from talking about this, as it's something that's on our minds and something that we all feel really passionately about. That's I haven't got a solution to that, but it's just important. It's an important thing to, to to acknowledge mm. that you know. It would be really nice to think that everyone is genuine and everyone wears their heart on their sleeve and they wanna be honest, but there are always gonna be people who are a little bit manipulative who know that there's something to be gained from from speaking about it.
1: Did you have anything to say,
0: Jack? I was just gonna say, yeah, it kinda needs to move beyond like a mental health awareness month. You know, it <laughs> it's not just to, one month of it's, to be it's here. A, an awareness that everyone has all the time, and that can only be done through education I think um, from like
3: really young to to now and I think I mean, that's the only way the could. more we talk about it and the more we increase talk talking about it I mean I've seen people on that I've known for 30 years on social media that are just you know absolute caners rave monsters absolute you know you just think they're indestructible and recently they've opened up and there's loads of stuff they've not... And there's loads of really fucked up stuff that's going on in their lives that they've had to repress to keep their brand rolling, you know? Um, I don't know if anyone's watched that new... Um, I think it's Mag. It's um, Fat Tony. I've, I've known him forever. Oh, Lord. And I'm
1: sure he's got some tales to tell.
3: Seriously, he, for the longest time, was just like, what? You're still... You know, I mean, mind-bogging, you know, 24-7, seven days a week, fucked. And now he's talking about it. And, you know, he's he's a mess, let's be honest. I mean, even now, you know, it, it's taking his toll. He's had a stroke, he's all over the place. But um, this is only happening because we're on the internet talking about it and saying, hey, I'm having a really hard time. And people are... You see other people rallying to someone and you think... Oh, actually, I, it's it's not really. Um, hey, I'm not going to be embarrassed to say, hey, are you okay? You know, I get quite a lot of now, now, I get like, you know, people kind of slide into my dins, you alright? You know, and these are people that I would never have thought of. I don't even think they would think themselves as being particularly empathic. But you re- when you see other people being empathic, you think, oh shit, actually it's, I, you know, I can reach out too. Um, but this is new. Yep. So it's to keeping it keep effect, isn't it?
1: Um, sorry, Karen, yes. Sorry, I I completely agree.
5: Um, but earlier we were talking about safe spaces and how sometimes it's just a bit of lip service. And what I'm really concerned about is that we're going to get into this, we're going to get into that kind of space with, with mental health. And obviously there's some really great initiatives. There's, like, help musicians. And there's stuff happening, but it's about getting people to use those services and so by talking about it and creating a sort of lessening the stigma and normalizing it is is great and that, that I think permeates may- beyond anything that we can even imagine by talking about on social media. But we need to get people using the services that are actually Maybe it's out there if, to if help we people. Spe- if
1: we afterwards we can get like a list of all the type of services that we can share it on the event so that everyone can access it. Maybe that's something we can do. Um, I'd really like to hear any questions if anyone in the audience has got any questions. I know that there is a radio, there's a wireless mic coming around. So if anyone wants to stick their hands up and then you can ask some questions. Yeah, it's a little bit like Joe Springer, except I'm not going to smash a table over your head. More like Trisha. Yeah. <laughs> Does anyone have any questions at all? Hello? Hi. Uh,
4: <laughs> this is sort of for everyone. Um, so in terms of balancing, I guess, music life and non-music life, uh, is there anything in particular you guys find helpful?
1: Um, for me, making sure I do a lot more self-care and uh, organising things with my friends that don't involve getting smashed (laughs) it's
3: it's really that simple I don't know what about you Jay I have a dog Um, I have children I don't know I have things that bring me uh, not bring me down but bring me back to you know a sort of uh, not normality fuck nothing about my life's normal but yeah finding finding things outside I mean You know, I do this now 24-7, seven days a week. This is what I do. Mm. I make, you know, if I'm not DJing, I'm making music or talking about music or doing things like this or, you know, or digging, you know, but finding things outside there that you can cherish.
4: I was gonna say just finding things that sort of get you out of your comfort zone. Um, I feel like with me particularly, like the last few years, my life has just revolved around photography and the music industry and events and going out and just music, which is great. I love it that's why I do it but definitely like the last year or so, um I've found just just going out of my comfort zone and meeting new people who aren't necessarily involved in this scene and hearing their interpretations and thoughts on anything in life is just <laughs> refreshing. Like, it's, yeah, I just get so, like, I, I, I feel like, like I said earlier, it's hard to switch off, particularly being, like, just freelance. It's, it's, it's hard to, like, just step away from work mode. And, yeah, just finding things, whatever it is, that just isn't what... I don't know, yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard. I guess when you're freelancing, you either feel
5: like you're completely isolated or you're completely yeah. overwhelmed by like, it. Yeah. I'm
4: really bad at relaxing and like I, I hate sitting in front of the TV. I, I rarely watch films... I'm the same like I'm the same. I, I also think it's but really it's
1: important to acknowledge that if you are freelance it, you're managing your own money you're managing your own taxes and you might not be earning especially in a city like London you might not be earning that much money and it's and you know you don't get you as that pro rata <laughs> yeah. you don't necessarily have money to spend on things that might make you feel better or things that take you outside of, of nightlife or music you know you might not have money to go to the gym regularly or go swimming or the things that maybe are going to help your mental health so it's really all like you know pay for private therapy and things like that and it's really important to acknowledge that freelance life does have its limitations on mm. this on that aspect Equally of outside though, of work to on the flip
5: side of that you
1: know i last year decided to
5: get a gym membership and pay for private therapy and i just had to make sacrifices and and, and i know that sounds really harsh but i couldn't eat out as much, I couldn't go out as much, I couldn't do a lot of the things I would have done, but actually when I think about how much I would have gone out in the past and whether or not that was really good for my mental health, it's like, am I going to go out on the weekend and, and get on it, or am I going to pay to see a therapist and work through my shit so that I can have those things back in my life? You have to choose, what you know, it goes back to what we were saying about self-regulation, I turned on my, my notifications off my phone. I have to regulate my time. As Rob was saying, I, I take days off. I put them in my diary. At some point, you have to realise that you are responsible for, for that balance, and you have to do it in the way that's right for you, and it's completely trial and error. So what works for me might it's not necessarily work, work for you. But and it's you also work in progress individually as course. well. And, it's, and it's, it's not linear, and it's not like you make a decision and that right works way. forever.
4: There's not a right way or wrong way to like do this. It's, it's what suits you, and deep down you'll only know what what is making you feel better or not and like you say it's trial and error but when you find something that makes you tick just keep at it
1: do we do we have any other questions from the audience thanks for asking a question we appreciate it
5: (laughs) no problem um so i went to bim i did music business and on my first day at work basically got hit with so many people saying
0: that my course was a waste of time
5: Um, That sounds
1: super helpful. We hired a lot lot of BIM students at where I work, (laughs) and I can
5: tell you that it's not a waste of time. That
1: sounds super helpful as well. um, But yeah, my point was... Sorry, I I forgot. I'm bad with names. Yasmin.
5: Yas... No, the point blank. Oh, Hannah. Hannah, yeah, Hannah. Um,
0: Obviously, you work work at music school, so what do you think about that? Well, I obviously think that's complete rubbish. Um, (laughs) No, I think there's... Well, I mean, I'm sure you can attest to it as well. There's so many skills that you learn. You make so many connections um, with other, you know, people, producers, writers, singers. Like, there's so many benefits to, to actually studying. And your lecturers as well. Like, I'm sure, like, a lot of lecturers at BIM, like, they are at Point Blank, are all working in the industry. So, you're making connections with them. You're getting so many great insights. And I think it's giving, I think what we're trying to do is like giving the, you know, people who are starting out in the music industry, the tools to then go and be able to look after themselves, be successful. And and so I think it is really important. And it,
1: yeah. a do you want to ask a question? I want to ask you a question. <laughs> Cause you haven't really
2: All said
5: right. loads, but I, you're one of the people that I would want to hear from most, especially when it comes to like work-life balance. Working in a twenty-four-hour club, you have Ooh, some yeah, that's some a really Im- good point. Really incredible bookings, but I know that you know I've worked in clubs. We've we've all worked. We've all worked in clubs. It's an intense space. How do you manage that as as the general manager of such a reputable club? You know, you have so many standards to uphold you have these incredible bookings and then the parties themselves, you know, we were just talking about it. It starts on Saturday, finishes on Sunday at 3 p.m. How do you manage that?
2: I'm very dedicated to what I do. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, look, um, also making a little segue to to your comments about that degree was I did business economics at a Russell Group university and using much of it, you know. Um, It's all about Con- context is everything, really. It's all about how you apply what you have in your background, what you have. And, like, my dream going into business school was uh, make a lot of money in finance, open up a record label. How
1: did you end up in nightlife then? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I got sick and tired of working in finance. I didn't like the who says they it
1: out to make money and it ends up in nightlife. <laughs> yeah, I, I,
2: I completely didn't like the culture. And, and I'm the sort of person that um, um, if... If, if i'm if i'm told or pushed to do something that i don't want to do I'll, I'll 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 do it and then realize later on it's like oh shit why am i depressed why am i not feeling well so it's like i i, I had to take full control of my life and do exactly what i wanted going against what Everybody, uh, I actually think me. this is a
1: really good point that maybe we haven't necessarily touched on is, is checking in with yourself, being like, why am I depressed and like actually yeah. just methodically go, if you're feeling down, methodically going through everything and working out what the, what the problem areas That's are. That's why I quit my job. <laughs> Because I no, realised I was depressed
5: and I was doing something that I didn't want to do anymore and that I hated and is I, I was sucked in by the allure of, like, well, I work in the music industry and it's still great, even though I knew that I didn't want to do it anymore. This is
1: basically self re- going back to self-regulation, isn't it? Like, you're just having to, like, check in with yourself, what is wrong, like, and you then self-regulate and work it out.
5: I went to the Brits... <laughs> I went to the Brits last year and that was like my childhood dream and as soon as I achieved that I was like fuck this shit. I've got no reason to be here anymore. I've been to the Brits. 5-year-old me is really impressed. I've got I've got nothing to gain from this. But yeah, I and I was miserable. I was so miserable. Were you miserable I at the Brits? No, well, <laughs> you know what? It was a weird experience. It's not worth going into now, but it was very, it was, no, it was surreal. It's like I got there and it was everything I thought I wanted, but it wasn't really what I wanted anymore. And it is, it's exactly this thing. I was miserable. I had two burnouts. I was crying every day at my desk. I thought I wanted to die. I didn't know how to talk to my clients anymore. You know, when you're, when you're dealing with an intense environment like that, you, you can't be crying at your desk every day, wondering if you've got anything to live for anymore Absolutely. just because of your job and it's so hard to, to actually take stock of that and say I can't do this anymore because especially when you're freelancing it's like well what am I going to do instead of this and figuring that out is it hard. Feel like a tra- it does
1: feel like a trap sometimes doesn't it? You're like oh, how do I escape from this?
2: And this is exactly like, like the work life balance I mean I don't know what you guys categorise as balance but as my friends they'll tell me no I'm not getting there <laughs> uh, but but for the yeah, past four to five I think me and both years.
1: related very hard with that.
2: <laughs> no, it's just for, for the past four to five years, I have done exactly zero things that I didn't want to do. I was like, what do I want to do? I want to do this. What do I want to achieve? I want to achieve this. What's the environment? What, what are the people I want to work with? Like, am, like, I constantly check myself. Am I happy? And if the answer isn't uh, a definite yes, I'm looking for options. And... Sure, maybe I don't have a work-life balance from the exterior, but I fucking love what I do. I love the people that I work with. I for everyone from like ownership down down to all to all of the people that I end up employing. Oh, right. It's a fantastic environment, and I would I wouldn't trade it like I wouldn't trade it for anything else. That is my work-life balance, pretty much.
1: So like Jay's is going to say something, and then we're going to move to that question. Okay.
3: Sorry, just I was just going to say like the economics. You know. Um, is a kind of one of the overarching shadows over this whole discussion and everything in general. And like, to to be able to do what you want to do all the time is a very rare thing. And it takes a very it takes an inordinate amount of strength to say, "Fuck it, I'm going to do that." Um, and for a lot of people, you just can't because economics say that you can't walk out of your job, or you can't. I mean, I've walked out of loads of jobs, yeah. Um, but you know, and a lot of the time, even we're talking earlier about um, you know like freelancers saying no to jobs because someone else is gonna. That is the that's the atmosphere, that's the environment that we are we live in. And like I said, you know, before it wasn't an industry so it had lots of people that just kind of spiraled happily for 30 years doing <laughs> doing raves and stuff but now it but it is an industry and um unless you're lucky to be a traveler and operate outside of that thing everything is about how much you're going to earn because if you're not earning you can't go to work the next day you know can't pay um, your rent you can't eat yeah and i mean um Oh God! I mean, just thinking about it now just makes me stressful, you know. Um, Should we have
1: this last question then? If, no. if you're getting stressed out, <laughs> I don't want you to get stressed out on a panel, Jay. We don't. We're not. We're not. We're not here to stress you out. Okay, can we have the last question, please? Just on the topic of when you become disillusioned with something that you thought was your dream that you wanted to do, just to
3: all of you guys, when you're in that place where you start to hate the thing that you've trained all your life up to that point for is there anything that helps you refocus, anything in particular that helps you either regain the love for the thing that you've come to hate or anything that, any tool that you use to point yourself in a new direction because you have the whole rest of the world of the arts or anything in front of you, how do you know where to go and that must, is really brave and how do you stop yourself just making all of the loads of mistakes trying to work it out <sighs>
5: I would like to say as a caveat that I am in the worst financial situation I've ever been in in my entire life. And I'm about to try and pursue my dreams with no money. I've had to move back in with my mum. I just went to Mexico for a month and a half to fucking find myself. God, I'm awful. Um, and, but that definitely helped, I will say, is getting the fuck out of London and getting away from everyone and everything that I knew. Just like... I didn't, you know, the Brits happened last week and it came up on my Instagram and I was just like, fuck, thank fuck I'm not there. But more more to the point of your question, you know, it's, it's really not easy. And and for a really long time, I had to sit and think about what I loved about what, what I did. And that really helped me think about What I wanted to do next, because what I loved about what I did was talking to people. I love working at events because especially doing artist liaison, you get to know people. And if you already know everyone anyway, it's great. You're in your little community. So I love talking to people. I love leveling with people. I love finding out stuff about them. So I just took everything that I enjoyed and separated it and was like, right, where can I take this on? What do I want to do next and it's it's not easy and sometimes you might find the love sometimes there's days when i'd go to work and i'd be like fuck i love this i don't i can't believe that i thought i wanted to give this up but the overarching feeling was just that it was too much and that it was taking more from me than it than it was giving and unfortunately i think that is actually just a symptom of our culture now that especially in startups you know that people will take from you and they will dress that taking from you up as company culture, and they'll give you a drink on a Friday afternoon and expect you to just be happy with it. You really just need to think about what it is you want for yourself, from yourself, for now, and maybe forever. Yeah, I
1: think i was. Sorry, I was just gonna say, I'd really like Hannah to answer this question as well, because obviously working in well-being for students, if, if a student came to you and asked you this question, what would be the advice that you would give them, as this is basically what you do? <laughs>
0: Um, I think it's a really difficult one because I think maybe when you have a passion and then it becomes your day job, I think that does take some of the shine away from it. And I think it is like what you said, it's finding out about what you loved about it in the first place and maybe not subscribing success to what you're doing, just doing it because you feel passionate about it. Um... I mean, I can, this is just even from personal experience, I studied drama, um, so I really wanted to be an actress, and I was like, but then I went to university, and I was like, ugh, this is not what I wanna do with my life. It was something that I loved so much, but it was just actually studying it, and, and, and then thinking about having it as a job, it just, yeah, it just wasn't for me. And recently, I found myself like going back to it, but just doing it for myself, and it's not for anyone else it's not to be seen anywhere if it, if it does that's amazing but it's just for me so i think it's like it's finding that passion back again and yeah
2: i also personally think that the key to self fulfillment is not putting all of your eggs in one basket i i um, not only do I want to uh, shake the needle within uh, within the music industry, but I want to be a great brother to my sisters. I want to be a great friend to everyone that's been near me uh, all of this time. I want to be a great son. Later on, I want to be a great father. I want to be multiple things that are part of who I am. And I tend to juggle all of these all the time and sort of rotate them to a point where you find that sort of unity as to who you are as a person. Who you are as a person, as much as in London you work 80% of the time, that doesn't mean your work is 80% of you. Your work is just another beautiful piece of the puzzle that put together constitutes who you are. So I think this is the most important part of keeping all of this in mind. It's who you are as a person that you want to become, and this is the role to self-fulfillment and happiness in my opinion.
4: I think success as well is such a mad word that gets thrown around and people come up to you and say oh my god like you're smashing it and you might not feel that you are or you might feel that you were once upon a time but two months down the line you might be really uninspired and struggling to find work but to others it looks like you're smashing it and it's hard to like sort of get your head around that and like I guess cope with it and I think success for me is loads of little um, separate sort of I guess happenings which which I'm proud of that over a period of time sort of all add up. It's not just like a, a period that happens and then it and then it disappears. It's it's, it's sort of like a, a journey of constantly bettering yourself, challenging yourself, um, and it, yeah, it's yeah. It's it's, it's it's a tricky one, but at the end yeah. of the day, only you know. Sort of like if you if you've tried your best, and that's all you can do, really. Like
3: you saying about if you hate something, and identifying that moment, that crisis point, is really hard for all of us. You know, I mean, some people. It you. If you're hating something and you're hating yourself, and it's all coming to a point where you you don't know what to do, actually, um, before you get to that point, it's actually knowing that you're there. You know, I mean, I love what I do. I love it even more now. But there was a time when there was stuff in my life that was colouring everything I did. So it didn't matter whether I was doing it right or wrong or not. It was just, you know, you wake up, I hate it, I hate everything. You go to bed, I hate everything. And it took a long time for me to identify it and when i did i did i had to then say right i'm going to stop now and do something about it and um, we talk about mental health you know that's our, that is a big problem when you're like that is not knowing not knowing that you're in that crisis moment you know you just sort of carry on regardless um and loads of people told me what's going on you know and i i I was just you know um so yeah knowing that moment not being scared that it might be over sometimes it is i know people that have stopped and gone and done other things yeah
5: there's, there's nothing wrong with investing your time in something and realising that it doesn't work. Just like a failed relationship or a failed friendship, you know. We can't keep ploughing ourselves into something just because we're scared to lose face and admit that it didn't work out. Or that we, we, weren't, we weren't the people that we thought we would be. Because when we're young, we have all these ideas about who we're going to be when we get older and what we're going to achieve and quite often those things are completely unrealistic and actually as you grow older and you change as a person your ideals and what you want from yourself and your life completely change and it goes goes back to this is who you are outside of your job but the person that you want to be is the most important thing and that has nothing to do with what you do for a job that's just who you are and if you think about that you'll find the answer somewhere. Also, you know, The Guardian has loads of jobs on their website. So <laughs> if you get
1: really, really stuck, you can just so go on there. Sh- big shout out, big shout out think, The Guardian job website. Just shut also, your eyes,
5: scroll and be like, mm, also, that'll music,
1: Also, music, music match jobs is really good. Um, I think really, because uh, obviously we're winding things up now, our, our key word for keywords for this panel talk is self-regulation. 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 Um, I want everyone to give a big round of applause for all these amazing panelists for coming and opening up, please. Thank you so much for coming along, guys.